and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Allie. I am the administrative assistant at the Cranston Public Library Central Branch. I'm Liz, and I'm the Children's Services Coordinator at the Cumberland Public Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Congrats on your new position, by the way. Thank you. So thank you both for joining me today. We're going to do something a little bit different this episode. Both of my guests have joined us here today to look back on all of our fandom favorites from 2021 and have a bit of a spoilerific fandom roundup. So all these big shows that we've been talking about on the show and trying to keep our conversation spoiler free for everyone else who was going to go out there and listen to it. Um, this is the episode where we throw all that to the wind and we say all our thoughts about all the things. So for our first segment, I'm calling The Common Ground um, because I surveyed both of our guests before this episode to kind of find out what they had been watching this year and what we wanted to talk about in this TV, movie, media roundup extravaganza. And it seemed like the thing that all three of us had in common that we had watched is Marvel TV shows on Disney+. Plus? I was not really surprised by this. <laughs> so let's start out with that. So the first one that we all picked as something that we'd seen and really enjoyed from Marvel's TV lineup this year was WandaVision. Yep. Yeah. I think it was pretty smart and also a breath of fresh air that they debuted a show that was so unique um, and felt really different from a giant string of movies we all just consumed. I thought it was really clever that they used, you know, so many different decades because they were able to pull in viewership from so many different decades. And, you know, from the, you know, comic releases, they were able to tie in people who maybe were into the Silver Age of comic books and then, you know, oh, hey, also this was on popular TV at the time. So let's tie these in together. And it probably, probably garnered them a bit more viewership. It was definitely, I think, the first thing that they made that I had friends who weren't Marvel fans saying, hey, do you think that I would like this show? And, you know, what do I do yeah, want yeah. to know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I even had talked to people that weren't big Marvel fans that were like, everybody's talking about WandaVision. Like, should I watch it? Did you like it? My mom's about to turn 60. And so she, you know, grew up watching a lot of these shows and the one TV in the household, obviously, on for, you know, the popular showtimes. And she's tolerated some of the Marvel stuff, but I made her watch the first couple episodes and she actually really enjoyed it because she just kept calling out, oh my gosh, I remember what episode they're, they're referencing there. It was, it was really funny watching her get so excited about, as she calls comic stuff. It's just like, okay. <laughs> um, but like you were saying, Liz, I, I appreciated that Marvel used their kind of like popularity and buy-in to do something different as opposed to we have all this popularity and buy-in from the fandom. Let's just keep pumping out more of the same. I mean, the movies, I think generally they've still been making a lot of like safe decisions, but for the show, they, like we're trying out streaming shows. Let's not rest on our laurels and give them more of what they want. Cause we know that people are going to tune in for that. Let's use the trust to give them something that's not only good, but different. Yeah, because they're on stage. It's it's what stage four of the yeah. Marvel the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and 
it's, it feels like stage four, right? Like this has been going on for so many years at this point. I, I took my brother-in-law, who's 10 years younger than me, to see Captain America when it first came out. And he was like tiny little kid. And now he's about to graduate from grad school. So it's like, this has spanned like a very long time. And it is, it, they do make a lot of safe decisions. It follows that formula. Like, I don't, I don't know that they could have kept the viewership that they had if they just kept sticking with that formula, especially after they already dipped into all the, you know, TV show stuff with um, Agent Carter and and with S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff. Like, they've already explored a lot of different styles of serialized shows. So they had to pick something new. Yeah, and then the one bummer side effect, and we'll get into this more later, is that when they did return to form with their next show, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just love WandaVision so much, and I was so excited by it. Yeah, it was really fun how they kept kind of just feeding us little bits at a time. I really like shows that give you exactly as much information as you need to consume the piece. So it was very much one of those shows. You were given exactly what you needed to follow along with the episode, and you only got like tiny increments of of, of information as you went. It was really fun to also kind of be analyzing what's going on as a viewer of the fake show, right? Like being a viewer of the viewers, figuring out what the heck is this anomaly? What's going on? That was that was really cool. There were all these like great treats to like whether you were coming as a fan of sitcoms, which I definitely was. Um, but I also think like comics fans got a lot, you know, I, I'm not as well versed there, but it seemed like people who enjoyed like the Vision comic from a few years ago probably were, were looking forward to this. I think people were excited to have Monica Rambo appear. I, I love Monica nice Rambeau so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when, when Captain Marvel came out, I was like, oh, okay. So there she is. So, you know, we were going to get her at some point. Right, right. Um, you get this tidbit of, <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's coming. We're building up. It was like the, the second that came out, it was like, oh, my God, we're heading towards the Marvels. We're heading towards the Marvels. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't have as much comics knowledge either. So we're watching the episode. I actually tweeted about this when, when my boyfriend and I were watching WandaVision. We got to the episode where she was in it. And we like finished that episode and he goes, were we supposed to know who that girl was? <laughs> and I was like, so you remember Captain Marvel? He goes, yeah. I was like, you remember her girlfriend? Yeah. I was like, that's her kid. And he goes, oh, okay. And yeah, let's not get down to the rabbit hole of was Captain Marvel gay? Like, I, I really like that you just said it like it's <laughs> canon. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm minded everyone is. here believes it. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm 110% for that. Yes. I was really excited when Marvel didn't railroad the storytelling one way or the other on that. They literally just gave us the information and let us make up our own minds. You know what I mean? I just, I really appreciate how they didn't add any commentary towards the negative. They just said, you know what, whatever people are going to see what they see and, and take what they take. And I, Really appreciated that. It yeah, felt sure. too safe to me. I mean, and I know they they're juggling the whole political thing and whatever, right. but it very much felt kind of safe to me that I was just like, they're super close, but they're just two gals being pals. That's every time they talked to each other. No every time they did a flashback, I was like, they're in love, guys. <laughs> they're in love. Yes. Okay. And I'm so happy yes. for them. And I don't know, this might be a little bit too of a minutia thing, but my friend and I, who are both two queer women who love Marvel, had this conversation once where she was like, okay, so do you think Captain Marvel is a lesbian or bi? And then I was like, oh, bi, like 100%. Like, 
were you sensing the sexual tension between her and Jude Law, or did I make that up in my brain? No, I oh. don't. I don't think you made that oh. up. <laughs> I'm blowing. I don't this think is mine. so. But I took it more as pansexual than bisexual because both established long-term personal relationships by the time we viewed them, rather than like starting with the like sexual attraction going forward. You know what I mean? Okay, that's fair. I mean, like reading it as like someone their her identity is like under the by umbrella is like oh, fine yes. for me because I've not that I understand that there are distinctions between being pan and being bi and that those distinctions are very important to the people who identify as them as someone who's bi and that distinction is very important to me. Um I think this might have been the first time I've explicitly said that on the show. Shout out viewers. <laughs> Our, our listeners, they're not watching us. They're listening to us, our listeners. Um, but the reading of her as an identity under the bi umbrella versus being a lesbian right. was like a thing that I was like, but again, it's everyone's headcanon because it wasn't explicit. So everyone's opinion about it is fine. Um, I know, I, I, just, I definitely agreed though, because I, I felt that same, that it was like, okay, so this is where this is going, you know, and then they brought in her, you know, non-lover lover, right? And we go forward and, and we're like, oh, oh no, no, there's there's multiple directions that this like, you know, story romance can go. It was it was definitely more than one. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't me projecting my bi headcanons on other characters because I do that <laughs> a lot, but that's me, you know, searching for representation in a in a world oh, no. where there is Limited she amounts. has relationships with men in the comics too, and they do tend to yeah. keep a history. So, like, also knowing that, like, that had fit for me, but more from that perspective, right? So, I have this interesting, as far as um, you know, knowing the comics, I have an interesting history because I actually worked for a comic book store for several years before I started here. And while I didn't necessarily read things in their entirety, I'd be, you know, filing through the, you know, hundreds of thousands of comics that we had, right, to pull orders, to pack and ship to customers. And I go, oh, heck, this looks really interesting. And so I'd sit and read through it and then keep going. So when when all of the Marvel Cinematic stuff really started inspiring the comic book sales, it was super fun to see how they matched up with which variant characters, which universes kind of came into play in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is why I was so excited about WandaVision, because it keeps us on this track towards, you know, kind of like the new Avengers and like bringing in Marvels and bringing in all of these different aspects that I didn't know if they were going to try to gloss over this aspect and move towards like a new movie or something like that. So it was really cool when WandaVision came out because I immediately was like, oh, cool. This ties in all of like what I guess they're proposing for the, the stage four for all their comics. It promises a lot more to come, you know. Definitely. So we already got kind of in the weeds just with WandaVision, but if we want to move on to another one that the three of us really enjoyed, which was Loki. Again, like even more teasers about all the multiverse stuff were happening then. Yeah. I know <laughs> me watching stuff after Loki came out just made me like in the ending of Loki just made me go like, but what about the time stream being broken? We're just going to ignore that for now? Okay, cool. I feel like Marvel's the master of just like, it, 
it all explains. We're just going to explain it away. So it's just, just pretend, just pretend it works. Just pretend it works. It's fine. We'll, we'll find a way to explain it. Yeah. Or, or not. And uh, I mean, it's hard to blame them because they just create <laughs> right? such big, very big stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like, like it's, it's, it's neat that, you know, so many of the, the loyal, like Marvel comic followers are for the most part completely fine with the Marvel Cinematic Universe because there have already been so many variants up till now that what's one more? Like, what's one more difference? What's one more tie-in? So it's funny coming from, you know, talking about books that have been made into movies and shows and stuff where it's, oh my gosh, they miss so many key points. Oh, this isn't like it was in the book. Marvel's just like, yeah, what's one more? That's fair. Like, comic fans are so used to, like, reboots and continuity like resets and and everything that the marvel cinematic universe is just yeah its own thing with its own continuity just like whatever particular continuity reset you're on (laughs) is its own thing with its own continuity so right it makes sense that marvel fans are like specific or comic fans in general are specifically kind of set up to be ready to to receive the material in like another form right when, when comics fans aren't, I'm like, do you actually read comics? <laughs> do you know what a comic book is? Do you know how the whole culture of comic books works? Um, yeah. I don't know if you do. <laughs> yeah, Loki was fun. Even though it was a little closer to a form we knew, I felt like it was like extra sci-fi. Like this, this is Marvel's like real deep dive in, into uh, like more of a sci-fi show, which was delightful. And anything time travel is always going to be fun for me. I really like that we got to see more in-depth personality development of of Loki as we went through, right? Because he's got such this kind of almost diamond in the rough feel like in the movies, right? Like they keep keep redeeming him through different acts throughout the the movies. And then we get to a show where we finally get to see him be his own story. You know what I mean? We actually get to see Tom Hilston like go in and 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 flesh out all these different personality traits that you just like you want to see more like mischievous nice and not vicious loki as you as you're in the movie so it was, it was fun to be able to see all that yeah i remember i kept thinking while i was watching that it was like oh loki might actually be a good person deep down like he just he just was like a terribly hurt person yeah definitely um, and because it was like, oh, he's yeah, it's not that he's like ready because in the the Loki we saw it in the movies up before the show was very much like you can't trust it because any moment he'll turn around and stab you in the back, like any moment he will have his heel turn again and, you know, reveal himself as the villain or reveal his true motives. Right. Um, and yeah, for the first time, I was like, oh, no, like Loki. Loki just wants to do the right thing. He just was in a lot of circumstances that didn't allow him to do the right thing. Because in that first episode, you know, he's, of course, he's like breaking down. He's having this moment where he's going, oh, shoot, like what's real? What's not? You know, is this all fake? Is this an illusion? And the whole thing about the weak putting up airs to instill fear to pretend that they've got a semblance of control over over people. And it's just, you see him like breaking down, sitting in this room going like, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I've been doing. Kind of confessing like, you know, I didn't want to hurt people. I had to hurt people. I, you know, that the, there was nothing else that I could do. I didn't know what else to do. It was, it was neat. 
And the the thing for me was him like watching the reel of like the other Loki's live and like seeing what happened with Freya and everything. And that's when I was like, oh no, like Loki really even caring about him or even caring about her wasn't like a half. Right. Like he's crying as he's watching, as she's watching her die. And then even crying as he's watching Odin, you know, pass on, transcend, whatever, and and watching him get emotional about, you know, watching Thor. And and you could definitely see he was all alone in a room. There was no way he could be performing for anybody. You know, we were seeing him at his core, you know. Yeah, and I think that that was really smart just from a storytelling perspective too because like how do how do we view Loki at that point in time when we know everything that's come after and so like catching him right. up I think was was good for the audience as well as getting to you know watch Hiddleston act through it right <laughs> close up on his face watching the tears form gently like yeah <laughs> totally So this next segment I wanted to try out for this special episode is called Sell Us Your Show, where (laughs) you both will get an opportunity to talk to us about a show that maybe wasn't wildly popular, but that you enjoyed just as much um, and kind of give us your elevator pitch for why we should watch it. So I had a hard time figuring out what to talk about because I have a three-year-old and my three-year-old pretty much runs our our TV usage. Um, So it's very difficult to watch a lot of the kind of Marvel things, things that may have as much action as I would want because they're generally too much action for her to be able to tolerate and not get a little freaked out by, you know, explosions and stuff like this. But I love anime and I've been into anime since I was about... 10 or 11 years old, probably before that, because I found Sailor Moon early and then fell in love. Didn't know it was anime until I, I met a friend who introduced me to the wide world of, of anime and manga. But um, what I did watch this year that I was so, so excited about was the continuation of the Fruits Basket reboot, which originally came out, um, I think, in 2003 or four somewhere in there. And the manga was being released at the same time. So it was one of those classic, the story diverged from where the manga story had uh, been created up to. And so it ended abruptly after the first 26 episodes had been released. And then the manga continued to go on and made this amazing, beautiful story that was just heart-wrenching and amazing. Oh my God, it's my favorite. It's probably one of my favorite stories of all times. Um, But... In uh, 2019, they decided to redo Fruits Basket from the beginning and retell it appropriately following the manga from the beginning to the end in three seasons. And so um, I've watched everything that is out at this point so many times. The story is just this amazing look into this high school girl's life who has lost her mom and she tumbles into this um, found family kind of situation where she ends up, um, living with portions of the Soma family, which are kind of the, the, the mystery that is there to be solved. And 12 members of the Soma family are all cursed to transform into a member of the Zodiac, um, when they are extra, you know, overly stressed 
tired, weak, or if they're hugged by a member of opposite sex, which makes it very anime-like, right? And say, so, thanks, Japan. Right? <laughs> so the, um, <clears throat> the story is just full of emotional vulnerability and the characters helping each other to figure out who they are and who they want to be and helping each other through the traumas that they've incited through their lifetime. And so, I mean, our main character, Toru, has lost her mother. She's still a high school student. She's struggling to make her way into her future and be her own self. And um, all of these characters are able to help support her and, and walk her through finding who she wants to be, right? But at the same time, she's lending this beneficial hand to all these different members of the, the Zodiac who have been traumatized at some point or other in their life. Uh, they have to hide, you know, who they are in this, this curse. They have to um, deal with, with, you know, hate from their families because how traumatic is it, right, that you've given birth to this child that turns into an animal. There, there's hints and, you know, explanations of physical and emotional abuse. And um, all of the characters come from some point of trying to figure that out and cope with it now in their modern day life. And it shows as anxiety and depression and all these different kinds of, you know, disorders and, 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 and ways that interrupt their life. But it's, it's an amazing story of watching them all kind of figure it out together and, and be champions for what they know is right and treating other people with respect. And it's it's just really cool. <laughs> I watched the original way back. Yeah, it was kind of like an abrupt ending because they, they didn't have any more manga to go on. So yeah, that makes me want to check out the new release because I enjoyed the original. It's on Funimation now and Crunchyroll. Though if you need subtitles, I think the last time I checked, the only subtitles are on Funimation now. Oh, okay. Um, so, Liz, why don't we hop over to you for you to sell us on our show? Uh, sure. I, um, I'll i go with the less popular, as far as I know, um, pick between my two, um, which is Rutherford Falls, which was a new show on the Peacock um, channel or, I guess, streaming service that NBC released this year. I actually thought all of the sitcoms I watched there were were very good, but this was, I think, the the best one. It's another new one from Mike Shore, um, although Ed Helms writers helped create it. And it's about a small town where um, two best friends, um, Nathan Rutherford, um, who is the guy in town whose family, you know, named the town and there's a family monument right in the middle of town. Um, He runs like a little historical center for it, has a lot of pride in there. And his best friend, um, Reagan Wells, who is a member of the Minashanka Nation, and she runs this tiny, um, like, Minashanka History Museum in the casino there um, that she would really like to grow and flourish. They're our best friend. They've been best friends. And when the mayor decides to take down the Rutherford Family Monument for purely like traffic reasons, it's like right in the middle of the town square. There's all these car accidents that happen because of it. Um, their friendship is rattled a little bit because many people get involved politically. Um, and I think it's a really topical uh, show for these days, but in a different direction too. And you know, a lot of the the monuments that we are dealing with right now are related to the Civil War, and I think that this kind of takes a curve around that um, aspect of it in an interesting way. The relationship between um, Nathan and Reagan is really lovely. There's a wealth of representation for Indigenous folk um, that's really exciting and diverse. Um, 
I think that Nathan's struggle with it is very realistic. You know, it doesn't go into like this like hot-headed fight between the two of them. It really delves into like the complicated issues that can arise um, when people are trying to navigate, you know, stuff like this. And I think it's got some really funny stuff. And because it's on the Peacock channel, it's also, it feels like a slightly more mature version of the sitcom that we have often enjoyed on NBC. You know, the streaming lets them loosen up a little bit. And so I, I feel like we're getting to see these writers grow too. I've noticed that a lot about the things that are coming straight out to the streaming services that is really interesting in that each episode is just as long as it needs to be for the story to be told, which the first time I saw the different, you know, lengths of episodes, I was super confused because I was like, how is it like 55 minutes and then 40 minutes? And I was like, oh, wait, we don't have to fill it with fluff. It's just exactly as the story wants to be written and told. That's really cool. Absolutely. And I think the dialogue, like, because, you know, there there's some, like, language in it that you might not normally see on, on NBC, but not, like, because they're taking advantage of it. It's just, like, how people talk, um, which is nice as well. Yeah, it it is kind of interesting because the streaming services really don't have to adhere to the rules of, of primetime television as much. You know, you slap a TV rating and a warning on it and you let people know what's going to be in there and then gives these networks a lot more freedom to make what they want. Yeah. I can't imagine how excited writers are to be able to write a straight streaming service show just because they get to just breathe and tell the story (laughs) and they don't have to, you know, be nitpicked to death, hopefully. Yeah. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. reading but miss chatting with people about what you've read? Why not join our virtual book group? There are a variety of meetings happening every month including the graphic novel book group, cookbook club, the nonfiction book group, hidden in the stacks, YA for adults, and reading in the hall book group. For more information and to register visit cranstonlibrary.org slash book groups or contact the Central Library Reference Desk at central at cranstonlibrary.org. Stay safe and happy reading. The library is launching a new collection, School Tools. Check out tools, toys, games, and interesting objects for learning and play from Central Library, including a microscope, toy cast register, robots, and more. The tools are meant to support parents who are teaching at home and encourage kids to pursue their passions. If you have suggestions or feedback for this new collection, email Emily at emilybrown at cranstonlibrary.org. All right, I want us to have enough time for us to do this last segment, which is a little bit of a game that I'm stealing from the Maximum Film podcast over on the Maximum Fun Network. So thank you to everyone at Maximum (laughs) Film for this wonderful rating system for movies, uh, because that podcast is all about films. And they have a little segment at at the end called Screen It, Stream It, or Skip It. So it's a pretty straightforward rating system. Screen it means it's so good you think it's worth it to go see it in the movies. Um, for the caveat of this, we'll say COVID doesn't exist. <laughs> so you yeah, can and then everything's still rating. available. <laughs> Let's pretend we're back in 2019 <laughs> and we're free to go to the movie theaters without fear. 
uh, stream it is that it was good and an enjoyable watch that you would be fine to watch from your couch and then skip it, obviously, is that you did not enjoy it that much and think that it's worth skipping. So pretty straightforward. So I thought we would go through some of the big nerdy movies that came out this year. Um, So let's start with, I think, chronologically, the first one, at least Marvel-wise, which is Black Widow. Are we screening it? Are we streaming it? Are we skipping it? Normally, any of the Marvel movies, I'd say screen it just because they're so big, right? Like there's so much happening and any action movie like that is so different on a movie theater screen than it is smaller at home. Um, I, I would say I, for for that, I would say screen it because it was just, it was, again, it was, it was a big movie, you know, it was a, a big loud adventure, you know, action show. So it just, I feel like anything like that just you feel it more when the screen is bigger, when things are louder. Tragically, (laughs) this is my skip it. Um, Except that I don't think you should skip any female-led superhero movie. I just want to put that out there. Um, But other than like the introduction of Yelena, um, it didn't like do huge things for me, unfortunately, which was very sad. I was very sad to be a little let down. Although I do tend to agree that most of these movies should be screened for the action anyway. Even this one, I felt like, in our busy world, you could probably skip this one. Um, So I did see this one in the theaters because it came out around my birthday. So we went kind of like in the middle of the day in a screening that would be dead. And it was. Uh, (laughs) Nice. So that's my context. So I did see it once on the big screen. There were parts of it that I enjoyed, even though Liz, like you, I kind of felt a little let down. So I'm going to go stream it. I think I will probably watch it again. Because sometimes Marvel movies grow on me. Like Winter Soldier took like several watchings and getting all of the details out of it before I was like, oh, no, this movie is actually good. Whereas when I watched it in the theater, I was like, oh, sure. It's definitely not a waste of time or anything, I don't think. But no, (laughs) especially if you've seen subsequent things and go back and find the hints and stuff that they had dropped leading up to the next reveal. All right. Uh, so the next would be Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I say absolutely screen it. It's a gorgeous movie. Um, the action definitely wants to be seen in a big, broad way. Um, especially there's a couple scenes in particular that I just felt like I was so happy to be seeing it um, in that way. So it was it was a really exciting movie for me. Um, um, I'm going to say stream it again. This one I did watch streaming and I did like it. I think it was like a fun action movie. Um, I've said this on the show, the kind of forced romance coded things between Shang-Chi and Aquafina's character, Katie, felt yeah. weird to me. I was yeah, like, that was, I, I didn't walk. I mean, that was whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was like, they have no chemistry whatsoever together. And I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> um, and that kind of distracted me a little bit. But otherwise, it was a very fun action movie and a great intro to the character. Really interesting mythos around the Ten Rings and... And everyone basically like, well, not everyone. If you practice hard enough, you can have airbender powers. And so I thought that was pretty cool. If you believe in yourself <laughs> enough, you can have airbender powers. That was the that was the takeaway from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And so the next one, this is one that I was very curious about, but also did not 
think I needed to rush to the theater to see it. So I'm waiting for it to be released on some type of streaming. Uh, but Liz, you saw this one, which is Eternals. Awesome. Um, I get to tell everyone. Yes. <laughs> you should have screened it. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, par- partially because literally the Celestials are so big. Um, my boyfriend was actually like, I just can't wait to see a Celestial on the big screen. I want to feel so small. And it's true. You did. You felt very small. And very much the the filming of the movie in general, there's just like a lot of like big space. Um, I'm, I'm making my hands really big for the viewers at home to know. <laughs> and, um, and little people, I, I really liked it. And I am disappointed that a lot of people panned it because I thought it was one of the most progressive movies that Marvel has put out um, in a lot of ways, which was very exciting. And tonally, it was refreshing. Um, It was like lush and lovely. And yeah, I really, really liked it. All right. So the next one I have not seen yet because again, I'm terrified of a bunch of people breathing on me in the theater to go see it. But I do want to see it. Allowed. Very excited for it. <laughs> That's allowed. Um, <laughs> but both of you have seen Spider-Man No Way Home. So this is very, very new. So I'm going to say let's keep our rating and uh, spoiler free uh, just for this one. Uh, mostly for me. But so you're welcome, <laughs> audience, that I'm being a little selfish and making everyone not spoil me about this movie. <laughs> I think I know what both of your ratings are going to be based on what I've seen you say about it already. Okay, well, actually, I might surprise you because I loved it. I loved it. I think unless you are a huge Spider-Man fan, you could stream it. It's very good, but I don't necessarily think it qualifies for my reasons for screening as much as the other ones I've mentioned, but it's very good. So, yeah, again, I love big action movies in theaters. I just get a little disappointed when I watched that at home. So in that vein, I'd definitely say screen it because, but um, I love Spider-Man. <laughs> I grew up <laughs> loving Spider-Man. Like everybody I knew watched the animated Spider-Man at home after school and on Saturday mornings. Like I'm so in love with Spider-Man growing up. So it was really funny after having seen, seen all these, you know, film reiterations of Spider-Man that they were able to bring them together in a way. It was really fun to kind of see everything working together. I also love the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I think it's probably at this point my favorite. I know it's a lot of people's favorite, but some people aren't quite as, as, as you know, excited about how many times they've remade Spider-Man, right? Um, but I I love the Tom Holland Spider-Man, so I'm, I'm really glad that they were able to like tie everybody in together. <laughs> Actually, I will say as a more casual Spider-Man fan, it was really fun to be surrounded by people who were so excited. Um, so that's a fun theater going experience, too. So maybe I'll bump my vote back up to. to <laughs> I know originally when they announced that they were going to make like a more MCU tied in MCU adjacent, whatever we want to call it, because of the whole thing, because I was like, right. no way, Home will be on Disney Plus, right? And then my boyfriend's like, Sony still owns Spider-Man. And then I was like, curse you, Sony! I know, right? Uh, <laughs> but when they originally announced something that was going to be more MCU congruent Spider-Man, I was very much like, oh, do we need another Spider-Man movie? Do we need to find out that Uncle Ben is dead again? <laughs> well, uh, and I, I, I was the same way before it actually came out, the first yeah, time it actually exactly. came out with Tom Holland, right? I was just like, it's not going to be great. It's going to be awkward. And then I just absolutely love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. So I was, every <laughs> time I they announced a new one, now I'm super excited. 
I like that we almost didn't get the origin story again. They were like, you know the deal. He gets bit yeah. by a radioactive spider. Like, it's chill. You all got it. <laughs> we're we're going to jump in. Like, he has spider powers, but he's still trying to figure out what to do with the spider powers. That's almost a more compelling narrative. The whole kind of, like, with great power comes great responsibility. So it's like we're coming in right at the moment of, like, him trying to figure out exactly what that responsibility is. Right. Well, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier with WandaVision about it's neat when you're given just as much information as you need to experience the story, right? We didn't start out as this origin story backtelling. It's just, here's what you need to know. Now let's watch, you know? All right. So we like to end the show with a segment we call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. Um, so I thought to keep us on theme with our and wrap up our big fandom episode, what is one property, whether it's books, comics, if you want a TV or movie to get like a reboot that's done way better than the first time, anything like that's fair game that you wish would get a big budget TV or movie adaptation. All right, I'll go and it's a little niche. <laughs> Um, but I picked the book that was like my Harry Potter as a kid, which is The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Um, it technically did have a movie right around when Harry Potter exploded, and it's the worst thing that's ever been made. Um, but it's like a chosen one type story. It's set in Britain about a, a boy who learns he is one of the old ones, which is a, a powerful sector of, of people who have been fighting the forces of the dark. Um, and the fun bit is that it's tied into um, Arthurian legend um, because his mentor is essentially Merlin. And it's a delightful fantasy series. Um, that's sort of the first book in the series. You could technically read um, Oversea Under Stone first, but it's a five book uh, series that I just, it, it still is around. Luckily it's in print. Um, people do read it. I participate in a readathon for it um, every few years. That's like a global thing. We read it like where it falls on the calendar. That's so much fun. It is fun, yeah. So um, mine is the Song of the Lioness Quartet, which is by Tamora Pierce. And Tamara Pierce is how she prefers. Um, funny, random tidbit. My daughter's name is Tamora because I love this author so much, I named her after her. Uh-huh. So this series I found when I was in probably middle school. And I, I have been beyond obsessed with everything Tamara Pierce has written ever since. But the Song of the Lioness Quartet follows Alana, who is a girl, born female, who just desperately wants to be a knight. All she wants to do is be a knight. She doesn't want to go to court and learn to be a lady because it's just dull. Like, who wants to do that? So she cuts her hair and trades places with her twin brother, Tom, who wants to go to the university and learn to be a mage, which is where the girls go to learn to be kind of like court members. And luckily they have, you know, absentee father who's just like, yeah, yeah, you guys are fine, whatever. Just send me monthly updates and I don't even read them. So they get away with it. And she ends up becoming a knight in training undercover as a boy when she's 10. And the story follows her becoming uh, a knight of the kingdom of Tortal and just obliterating all stereotypes about what women can and can't do. And it's amazing. Like the kind of representation and characters is super, super diverse. You've got characters from all different kinds of civilizations, which are also, you know, easily 
associated representations of our own. You know what I mean? It's obviously, this is kind of an Asian-themed culture. This is, you know, a European-themed culture, different kind of things like that. And um, I just think, especially with how comfortable a lot of different production companies are becoming with incorporating all these big, diverse concepts, I think it could be done right kind of for the first time. Because prior to this, prior to especially all this direct to streaming services kind of, you know, releasing of media, it would have been whitewashed so hard that nothing would be correct or it would be, you know, so full of, you know, patriarchal stereotypes that it it would never be represented correctly. But I just feel we're getting there to the point where we might finally be able to experience the story in, in visual as you experience it reading. And what's so cool is it's, it's, still such an action-packed series that when you're reading it, you can see what's happening, right? You can see all these action scenes, all these big dynamic, you know, battles and all sorts of stuff. And it just, it would lend so well visually, so well. (laughs) It would be amazing. Yeah, I'm actually surprised, like, production companies have been making book adaptations for a while. But it seems, especially with, like, the straight-to-streaming stuff, like, a real boom of it where we're starting to get things like we got a Dune movie that was the first time they took a crack at it since the 80s where it was like (laughs) this campy thing with Sting in it Um, and like foundations, like all these kind of like series that I hadn't even heard of are getting adaptations. And I've heard tons of people talk about her books. Oh, yeah. How much they enjoy. She has such a massive following. Just like this whole like cult following their discord servers that are thousands and thousands of people so like there's such a big following i feel like i feel does like she would she like this to happen or did, i wonder does she have a real perspective so i've read different articles through the past decade or so about her talking about um potentials so from what i understand i and the last thing i read was before covid started but i feel like i read something about it potentially being in the works for a miniseries. And she seemed excited about it, um, especially because from what I read in that article, she looked like she was going to have a lot of control over how it was rewritten. Um, so I I think she would be excited about it from what I've read, but I certainly would want her input. You know, I, I'd hate for an author I respect as much as her. I'd hate something to go ahead without her okay. Like this is her her creation, right? Like I'd want to honor her, her wishes for it. You saying about keep hearing stuff from the author about like potential adaptations happening made me think of my answer. I was going to say something else, but now I'm going to say this. Um, Cause it's for years. Scott Westerfield has been saying there will be an uglies movie at some oh, yeah. point. Yeah. Um, like years, like since I read the books, I've been reading things that he's like, we possibly this, possibly that. It's possibly happening. Yeah. And I read the books when I was in middle school. So that's a timeline for you all of how long I've been hearing this man be like, it's maybe happening. <laughs> uh, so, but I thought I heard something recently that seemed like it was like maybe a little more concrete, but I don't know. I did too. No, you, I something definitely had been put out there fairly okay. recently. Um, but yeah, so I, I, if it is happening... I'm excited and I hope that they do it justice because I know a lot of people were like, Hollywood can never do the uglies justice because the whole premise is that they're supposed to be ugly. And so like beautiful movie stars and it would defeat the purpose. And it was like the whole point of the book is that them being ugly was like socially constructed. Yeah, right. 
Like yeah. the whole point was that like they told all 16, all under 16 year olds that they were ugly until they had this surgery. So already it's like created this idea that before right. that the surgery, beauty is ugly. a social construct, not yeah. beauty is, is it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that they actually look any different look than ugly. us. It's yeah. just that, yeah. they, you know, that the, how the society views beauty is different. Yeah, so I don't think that would bother me that much. It seems like there's some fans out there that might be bothered by movie stars being attractive even in the beginning of the film. Uh, but that I don't think that bother would bother me that much. And I think it would be really interesting now because the, the book kind of touched on that they were like, we bring everyone to a medium skin color because it was all about like eliminating difference. So I think that there's like a lot that they could say about about race and colorism in a movie that's all like, we've scientifically figured out the median skin color of all human beings so that we stop killing each other over what color we are. <laughs> we fixed racism with a right. surgery. <laughs> it's like, uh, are you sure? Did you? <laughs> I was saying that you did it that way. Like, he's saying that there is inherently a problem with the other ways. <laughs> yes. Right, like, right. <laughs> So I think kind of like why The Last Man, I thought, had interesting things to say about gender now that the graphic novel couldn't have said then because just we're in a different place in our awareness of, of gender and the, and the broad spectrum of gender expression that's out there. I think Uglies could really say some interesting things about race and class and a lot of different things that cause difference and division in our culture now that Scott Westerfield couldn't say with the books then. Right. Yeah. I like that we all picked something from our adolescence. We're like, (laughs) you know what I think everyone should love on TV? (laughs) The thing that made me me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's right, though. We, We experience these stories and we make them such a part of who they become such a part of who we are, right? A part of 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 how we present ourselves and how we interact with people and the decisions we make. Like I was bullied as a kid, man, talking about growing up into some like sword wielding, awesome warrior who like rights and justices all around her. Like, let's do that. Yeah. Like that's, I want to be that. <laughs> what does it say about me then that I love where we examine like the problems of, like of the human race? Like the whole series was about like, a group of people thinking they figured out how to like fix humanity. It's, it's sociology. You're a sociologist. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you're probably, also, but it's also about the girl that pushes back. So. Yeah, that's yes. fair too. Yes. So. But yeah, a teacher who was like, read this book. And then after reading it, just being like, I didn't know books could be like this. I didn't know books could like <laughs> examine human existence. Up until then, I just had them throwing a bunch of realistic fiction that was on the accelerated reader list at me that I thought was boring <laughs> as heck. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I hate this. You mean books can mean something? <laughs> they can do something? They can help us examine our human nature? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a teacher gave me mine too. So shout out to teachers. Yes. Shout out to teachers. Teacher made me a reader and a teacher encouraged me to be a librarian. So I literally would not be here today without teachers who encouraged me and pushed me in the right directions. So. Oh, same. Yeah. I don't, I don't actually know how I came across Tamara Pierce in the first place. I know it was the first Alana book, but I, I really can't remember who gave it to me. Like when I read it, I just remember I was like, 
10 or 11 or something year old. And, and I have just obsessively promoted this book ever since. Every one of my friends goes, oh, don't talk about that one again. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you're in the library world. I feel like everyone has one book that they evangelize because they love it so much. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All the ones we like are still available in our public libraries. Right? It's got to say something that all of them are still in print. All of them are still getting new covers, right? Like they are popular for a reason. (laughs) Scott Westerfield wrote sequels, like yes. recently. Oh, yeah. Yes. I loved as a child are still relevant. <laughs> I'm not turning to dust. <laughs> <laughs> Tanner went back and wrote an entire series about one of the characters from the books from, like, her second series that she ever wrote. And this was just, like, you know, 2019. So it's just like, Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we still all have things that allow us to relive our childhood so thank you both for fangirling with me today. Thank um, you. I had fun chatting with you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us here at Downtime, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can now reach out to us via social media with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Cassidy Mills, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. Nailed the outro, though. (laughs) Can't mic drop because it's already on the table. (laughs) 